الحمد لله الذي أنزل قرآنا عربيا وهدانا الصراط السويا والصلاة والسلام على محمد الذي بعث رسول النبي وعلى آله وصحبه الذين سلكوا طريق المرضية أما بعد My respected elders, dearest brothers and sisters, السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. Whenever this ummah has reached its lowest point to the effect that they have been burnt in the, into the ashes of disgrace, that from all angles it feels like they are being persecuted, that from all angles it feels that they are being attacked. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has always sent individuals to rejuvenate and revitalize and renew the iman and the belief of people in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To renew piety, honesty, justice, and integrity within communities. And we see it time and time again throughout history. Look at the life of Musa alayhi salam. We find in the beginning of Surah Anqabut, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, Inna Fir'aun ala fil That Fir'aun was an individual who was behaving with incredible arrogance, with haughtiness, with pomp, upon the earth. He had many individuals whom he had subjugated, who he had made into slaves and into servants, to the extent that he divided people into factions. And he made them weak. In another place, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, that he would kill the male children and he would let the females live and he would let the women live. And the purpose behind this was because he had heard from among the people within his court that there was to come a prophet from among the people of Israel, the Banu Israel, that there will be a child from among them who will become a prophet and who may challenge his kingdom. At that time, Regarding Fir'aun, it is highlighted that he had 10 million soldiers. You know, he had everything in, his, in the possession of his hand. To the extent that he himself claimed divinity, he would say to the people that I am Allah the Most High. He would claim divinity. He had been given so much. There was so much in his possession that it deceived him into thinking that he was God upon this earth. And he said to the people that, that I am your Lord Most High. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to show him that despite his might, that despite his strength, that despite 10 million soldiers that he had at his command, Allah raised Musa salam in the very house of Fir'aun. That this man who is claiming such strength, Allah wanted to show him that you claim your strength is such that I will raise a single man in your house and this man will go on to defeat you and be the end of you. Allah was showing his strength that by a single young child, he will protect and let him be raised to the extent that he destroys this man. So 
the, in, the people during that time were in such a state that they had hit the ultimate low. It seemed as if there was no one there upon the earth who would guide them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then sent Musa for such a long time, Fir'aun was in charge. For such a long time, there was slavery. For such a long time, there was tyranny. For such a long time, there was oppression and transgression. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Musa and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took those individuals out of the darkness that they were in. And Allah raised from among this community people who would be stalwarts and firm and pioneers of the faith. You even find this in our ummah, the life of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Miqdad al-Aswad radiallahu anhu, who was a companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who later discusses the time and the context in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was sent, says that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was sent in a time which was more harder than any Nabi or any Prophet of Allah had been sent. And there was a reason for this. Because the time before the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there was no Prophet before. I mean, the, the timing, there was a fatra, there was a duration in which there was no Prophet. The last Prophet which had come, Isa alayhi salatu wasalam, and the time between him and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was an incredibly long time. During this time, people had fallen into disbelief to the extent that people didn't find a worship which was better than idol worship. In this time, again, the ummah has fallen, the, the community has fallen into such a low state that people were killing their own daughters. Later on, when Umar radiallahu anhu wasn't first a Muslim, he wasn't a born Muslim or he didn't convert early, he was the 40th person to convert into Islam. Okay, the 40th person to accept into Islam. It was said regarding Umar radiallahu anhu that there was more chance of his donkey accepting Islam than Umar. The reason being that Umar had incredible hate for Muslims and Islam in the beginning. However, Allah subhanahu the Prophet sallallahu had made a dua and this dua had hit Umar and Umar later on accepted Islam. But the likes of Umar radiallahu anhu, they were very much against Islam during this period. How, and, and, and you can see that there were people who would say that there was more chance of his donkey accepting Islam than, the, than, than he himself. So the Prophet ﷺ was sent in a time where people didn't see anything better than idol worship. Again, with Umar radiallahu anhu, people were killing their, their, their own children, their daughters. You find regarding Umar that later on in his life, people would find him and occasionally he would cry and occasionally he would be happy and then he would cry again. And people would say to him that, why are you crying? He says, because I remember that time where I was burying my own daughter. She must have been a young toddler just about able to stand and he, was, he began burying her alive and she would remove the dirt from his face, face as he was burying her and this was the life that they were living before Islam had come to them and then Islam had given you know, great honor meaning society when it has been burnt into the ashes of disgrace meaning there is no piety there there is no honesty there there is no intelligence there is no integrity when people have fallen into the abyss of darkness Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises from among them a person an individual who will guide these people towards the light Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions regarding the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam we found you lost you were always thinking that how can I help this ummah how can I help this ummah and therefore we guided you and we found you in a state where you were destitute where you were poor and we enriched you and we emboldened you 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, at every juncture, whenever the ummah falls to a low, an all-time low, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends from among the community individuals who will raise this community. In fact, in one hadith, the Prophet sallallahu has highlighted. And I mentioned this very briefly in the last khutbah regarding Salahuddin Ayyubi, rahimahullah. Allah has said, the Prophet sallallahu said, Inna Allah that Allah will raise for this ummah at the head of every hundred years an individual who will rejuvenate and revitalize the faith of people he will renew their faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when people have been taken over by atheism when people have been pulled away from the faith Allah will send an individual and Hafiz ibn Hajar al-Asqalani who is one of the greatest commentators of hadith highlights that it is not necessary that this person be just one person it is possible that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends a community of people whose minds are so fixed on wanting to do good that this community works hard and pushes and endeavors and are pioneers in the community in order to help the other Muslims. And as a result of their hard work, people are awakened. You know, one person waking up another person and that person wakes up thousands of indi individuals this is the crux of the hadith that this one person comes and he wakes up the minds of people he asks them questions to which they need answers and as a result he revitalizes and renews their faith my friends this was all a preamble this was all a precursor my purpose today is to highlight one particular individual and this individual is sultan mehmed al-fatih he was an individual who was born in the 14th century. And he was the seventh Sultan, the seventh leader, the seventh Khalif from among the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire, for those who are fans of the show Erturul and who are following the Turkish history, he was the seventh grandson, the seventh descendant of Erturul Ghazi. Now, this individual Sultan Mehmed al-Fatih, and it's a very important individual, he was an individual whom Allah had blessed with immense intelligence, a very high IQ. At a very young age, he was a man who was able to speak several languages. He spoke fluently in Turkish, in Greek, in Arabic, in Serbian, and many other languages, Latin as well. He was able to speak and communicate with leaders. At 13, he first became the Khalif of the Muslims, at 13 years of age. This highlights to you that 13 years of age during those times, a man was seen fit to run an entire country. At 13, he was made the leader of all the Muslim lands that the Muslims had conquered. And during this time, there was a war that had broken out. The reason he was made Khalif was because his father, Sultan Murad, had felt that I can't do this job anymore. And he abdicated the throne and he went to another place to live out the rest of his life. And when his son realized that his father has left and that there are many wars impending, he thought, how can I have no experience in this? So he wrote a letter to his father. And this shows you the mindset of Sultan Mehmed. He writes a letter to his father and he says that you are the true Sultan. If you are the true Sultan, then you must come back and lead your armies. And if you denounce your sultanate and if you say that you are not the sultan then I am the sultan and I am commanding you regardless of whether you are my father to come back and lead the armies 
He was a man with incredible intelligence. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had blessed him from a young age. But there was one important thing that was stuck in his mind. And this was a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, which Imam Ahmad has highlighted in his musnad. He's, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, That you will conquer Istanbul. At that time, it was known as Constantinople. He said to the Muslims, this was 1400 years ago, the Prophet said to the Sahaba, a time will come where the Muslims will conquer Istanbul. They will conquer Constantinople. The man who conquers it, the leader who conquers it, he will be the best of leaders. And the army that conquers it, that will be the best army. From a young age, he had read this hadith. Up to this point, 28 times people had tried to conquer Constantinople. 28 times people had tried to climb over the walls or to desecrate the walls and to destroy the walls and they were unable to do so. 28 times. And from among these 28 times, there were some of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. You had the likes of Muawiyah during the Khilafah of Ali radiallahu anhu who had gone to try conquering it. He was not able to do so. You had the likes of Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiallahu anhu that at the time where he wanted to go, he began to fall ill. And he passed away before he could even get to the walls. And he told the people at that time that if I die and I pass away, I want you to bury me as close to the walls of Istanbul, right deep into the enemy territory. 28 times they had tried to conquer this place, but they were unable to do so. Why? What was so special about Constantinople? What was able to stop people? Constantinople at that time was the center of Christendom. In, within Constantinople, you had Hagia Sophia. Hagia Sophia was the greatest cathedral, was the largest cathedral. In fact, Constantine the Great had moved the, the uh, Christendom away from Rome and had placed it in Istanbul. It was the center of Christianity during the time, but it was right in the middle of Muslim lands. It was very difficult for Muslims to go from one place to the other place safely, or to cross the Bosphorus and to go to the other area. And Istanbul was situated in such an area that there were three, that there are four entrances. Three of those entrances are blocked by the river, or the, sorry, the ocean. And one of those entrances, there's a huge fort and the walls you cannot go over. 28 times people tried to enter through that front door, but they couldn't. And they couldn't go around the back because there wasn't ships strong enough to sail through there without taking damage. And in fact, the, the, the Byzantine Romans had placed chains from one side of the bank. It was a really thin, narrow uh, river, you know, the Golden Horn Strait. And from one side of it to the other side of it, they had placed chains. So if any ship was to go past, that chain would hit the ship and the ship would break in half. Those chains are thick. If you go to Turkey even now, I was there last week, those chains are there. You can see them on the embankment. They are huge chains. How they pulled it onto from one side to the other, it is out of this world. They went to the extent of fortifying Istanbul that nobody could penetrate its defenses. And then the task came to Sultan Mehmed al-Fatih. At the age of 17, he begins planning for this. He was not just an individual who knew languages. He was also an engineer. He realized that he needs to build ships in order to make his way through this front door. And inshallah, we will continue with that very shortly. Please, recording during the khutbah. Okay, so recording during the khutbah. It is distracting musallis. We have HD quality uploaded uh, on our website. You can listen to it on our website. Do not invalidate your khutbah. So individuals, and I've seen even on the days where I'm not leading and I'm sitting on the side, uh, and sometimes I've noticed even when I'm sitting, uh, standing here at the front, 
uh, as soon as the Imam comes here, and I know some people want to show other people and, and the rest of it, but don't invalidate, you're, you're not obliged to take recordings, etc. We've got cameras over here that record the, the Imam. We've got individuals in the masjid who then sift through the, the recordings and then they upload it onto the website, okay? There are, you know, you'll be able to get, get these clips on Instagram and the rest of it. However, do not invalidate your salah by whilst the khutbah is going on to take out your phone and then to record and then sometimes record the faces of individuals who are sitting beside you. They may not want to be on camera, okay? I know myself that I would not like to be on camera as well, so I don't like it when people, uh, uh, lift up there and then you sometimes you get the flash in your eyes as well it takes your mind off track and then you forget about what you're going to say assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah ma ba'd my friends eventually at the age of only 21 in the year 1453 april late april Sultan Mehmed al-Fatih conquered Istanbul. And the manner in 29th time, it took them 29 times, 28 times by other Muslims. And on the 29th time, the first time, because of his intelligence, because of what he knew, because of that faith that he had in the words of the Prophet ﷺ, he was able to conquer Istanbul and Constantinople. And how did he get over those chains? Well, it was his intelligence. It was because he was an engineer. He took logs and he commanded his army that... It, just before those chains approach us, we will dismount and we will take our ships on land and we will align logs and we will oil them with fat and grease and then we will carry the boats over the mountains and what he would do is that he commanded the army to push them all the way to the top so the first boat the first boat took them four hours to push right to the top and when he came to the top he said now grab a rope grab a chain and he tied it to the ship which was at the bottom and when he pushed it over the top the next one came up and then one after the other one after the other by the next morning 70 ships were there ready to conquer Constantinople which was in front of them but, well, the Prophet said, amiru amiruha. The best of leaders will be that leader. And that army will be the best of armies. He conquered Constantinople. But I want to highlight to you the piety. When he conquered Constantinople, the Hagia Sophia, which was the greatest cathedral in Christendom at the moment, is now turned into a masjid. It is the time for Juma Salah, just like we are leading the Juma Salah. And he says that that Imam will lead us who has not missed a single Sunnah Salah in his life. Forget the Fard, okay? Everybody was reading the Fard. But there were individuals who maybe they missed the two rakah of, 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 of Fajr. Maybe some who had missed the four before Dhuhr. Maybe others who had missed the two which were after Maghrib, etc., etc., etc. Somebody had a deficiency somewhere or the other. The only person who didn't was Sultan Mehmed Al-Fatih, the leader of the community, a 21-year-old man, a 21-year-old man who had not missed a single, forget about the Fard Salah, a single Sunnah Salah in his life. And he said, therefore, I will lead the Salah. And he led the Muslims in Salah, in that first Salah in the, in, in the Hagia Sophia. My friends, there's a lesson in all of this. There's a lesson in the life of Sultan Mehmed Al-Fatih for young individuals and also for those who are parents. My friends, what Sultan Mehmed did 
was as a result of the tarbiyah that he was given by his parents, by his father. From a young age, he was told that you need to do something great for Islam, that you need to do something that will give strength to Islam, something that will take the people out of the disgrace that they are in. My friends, how many from among us have children? And, and this is something that you can answer for yourselves. How many are there from among us who, are, who tell the child that you must grow, you must go to college, you must go to university, which are by far important things. They are, you know, I'm not undermining it. And a person who's been born and bred in this country, I too have gone through primary and secondary and college and university. And I've learned skills that I wouldn't have been able to learn anywhere else. But along with that, how many from among us tell our children that along with being a doctor, along with being a physician, along with being a dentist, along with being a lawyer, you must also do something to strengthen this faith. You must also serve this faith. Unfortunately, for many of us, we feel as our, our job as parents are done completely once we tell our children, you need to grow up and get a salary over 50, 60K. Once you've done that, you have hit the promised land. You are a successful man. But how many from among us say to our children, when we see them at the young, tender age, that you need to grow up and you need to do something that will bring strength to this faith, something by which the Muslims will be proud of. You need to either write books, you either need to help people, build something, do something that will be a situation which will cause a situation to wake other Muslims up and which will be for the strengthening and the betterment of not just the Muslims but for the lands that you live in. How many of there are there? How many of us are there from among us who say this to their children? Becoming a doctor or becoming a dentist, it will eventually be a means of you know, it's a means to an end. That person will get his degree, he will get a job, he will get the finances, he will pay his bills, but eventually he will die. And those who he has left behind will fight for that money. But those amazing things that those people did, the Sultan, Sultan Mehmed passed away, and he left behind whatever left behind. But when people mention his name today, they don't mention him because of the riches that he had. They mention him because of the khidmah, the service that he had did to the faith. Just like Salahuddin al-Ayyubi, rahimahullah, that I mentioned in my previous khutbah. My friends, it is very, very important. You know, there was a time where it was fine to leave your child with an imam and that imam would do the tarbiyah. That time is no longer here. The greatest madrasa, the greatest school that a child sits in is the madrasa which is at home. It is that school which is at home. It is very, very important for you as parents where you have young children that you nurture them in such a way that they know what their principles are. They know what their rules are. They know what their obligations are. We are in such a time where there are many things happening in the community and the society and children are coming home and they are saying, well, is this right? Is this right? Right now we are going through Easter. How many children are there who are confused regarding the narrative of Isa despite us on a regular basis mentioning it year out, year out. The reality is that the greatest madrasa isn't the madrasa that you send your child to at school, at the masjid, expecting the imam to do it. You need to spend time with your children. Put that phone away. Put that addiction away and sit with your child and say, well, this was the story of Isa If you don't know that story as well, learn it and then echo it to your child. And likewise, my young friends who are here, I'm not speaking to you as an imam here. I'm speaking to you as a, an older brother of yours who has grown up, who plays football just like you play football, who goes out just like you go out. If you are spending eight, nine hours a day addicted playing Fortnite in front of a computer, you are wasting your life. It is not going to take you anywhere. Look at the likes of Sultan Mehmed al-Fatih. At the age of 21, when most of us are either finishing university or going on to postgraduate studies, this man did such a huge, huge task. He fulfilled the words of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa My friends, how many from among us 
You know, if you are spending your hours of your day addicted to Netflix, if you're spending hours of your day sitting in front of a computer, absolutely, you know, not contributing anything to society, then you are wasting your life, my friends. You are honestly wasting your life. I'm not saying don't have fun. Have fun, but within reason. Just like you go out, I go out as well. Just like you play football, I play football a few days a week as well. However, there is a limit to everything. There is khidmah which needs to be done. This deen will not serve itself. It needs people like yourselves to grow up and to take the situation by the throat and say that I am going to do something which is going to echo for years to come. That is when we will reach a state where Allah will send from among us an individual or a community who will strengthen and revitalize and rejuvenate and renew the iman of people. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give me the ability to act upon what has been said. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant you the ability to act upon what has been said. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect our offspring, grant us the ability to have such offspring and produce such offspring that will be a source of boast not just for ourselves but for the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In fact, one dua which is mentioned that the sahaba radiallahu anhum would mention for children when they were born that may Allah make this child a source of blessing for you and for the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In alhamdulillah, nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu wa na'udhu billahi ta'ala min shurur yanfusina wa min sayyati amalina may yahdihillahu falamudillalah wa may yudlil falahadiyalah wa nashadu an la ilaha illa allahu wahdahu la sharika lah wa nashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluh sallallahu tabaraka wa ta'ala alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahabihi wa baraka wa sallam atasliman kathiran kathira amma ba'd faqad qala allahu tabaraka wa ta'ala إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم ارض عن الخلفاء الراشدين الأربع أبي بكر وعمر وعثمان وعلي وعن الستة من العشرة وعن أهل بدر وعن أصحاب الشجرة وعن السابقين الأولين من المهاجرين والأنصار وعن أمهات المؤمنين وعن صحاب رضي الله تعالى عنهم اجمعين اللهم اغفر لنا وللمؤمنين والمؤمنات والمسلمين والمسلمات والف بين قلوبهم واصلح ذات بينهم وانصرهم على عدوك وعدوهم اللهم اغفر لامة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم استر امة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم احفظ امة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم تجاوز عن امة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم ارحم امة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم عز الاسلام والمسلمين اللهم عز الاسلام والمسلمين اللهم اللهم عز الإسلام والمسلمين اللهم انصر الإسلام والمسلمين في كل مكان اللهم أصلح أحوال المسلمين في كل مكان اللهم أنجي المستضعفين من المؤمنين في كل مكان اللهم كن لهم عونا ونصيرا اللهم كن لهم عونا ونصيرا اللهم بدل خوفهم أمنا وأخرجهم من الظلمات إلى النور يا أرحم الراحمين عباد الله رحمكم الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعيذكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله يذكركم وادعوه يستجب لكم ولذكر الله تعالى أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون قم الصلاة